Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, we uh, may have to notify uh, Gallagher and Prager. I think we're going to have to preempt their shows today because yeah. there's just so much to go through from yesterday's uh. congressional testimony uh, between Chris Ray, FBI director, and the Ivy League presence. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know it's just speechifying, but there were still important moments to discuss. And with Ray in particular, the expanse of topics, FISA Section 702, Epstein, the uh, Biden Inc. investigation confirming the uh, veracity, the existence, the reality of the laptop prior to the 2020 election, uh, targeting of Catholics, uh, the uh, threat of terrorism uh, on the homeland because of our open borders. All of that was covered and most of it in a very pointed fashion. But let's start with our own sack of Durbin since he's been in the news lately calling as he did the other day we discussed for uh illegals to join our military right well for passage of legislation sponsored by his seatmate tammy duckworth so our illinois senators socialist senators working together which is wonderful yeah to make up for the recruitment problem that uh, armed services have by providing a path for people in this country legally to serve and then get citizenship that's the, the big policy idea coming from a Durban. Yeah, and, re- and real quick, what are they going to speak? Eighteen different languages in the military, especially when they're in battle. But whatever, we we litigated that yesterday. But it still bothers me, and it bothers a lot of people who have served this country proudly. They told me yesterday, like, the reason why they shave our head is they they break us down, so that we can work together as a team. It's not an I or a me. It's a, it's a team. And yeah, you, I you're going to uh, understand the the you know okay. need for unit cohesion in the military. Exactly. So uh, uh, Durbin, though, um, was cornered by Fox News Channel's Hillary Vaughn and asked about uh, a topic we also raised with respect to Saka Durbin, the uh, scoundrel and senior senator from Illinois. You're familiar with him, I think. And that's about um, the flight logs from Epstein, can we get more information? Can we try to can we at least appear to be making an effort to try to get to the bottom of who the Epstein Maxwell clients were since this was such a apparently massive sex trafficking ring? I mean, Epstein was under indictment. Maxwell's sitting in prison right now and there were no clients. That's odd. You know, when when you had like uh, the Hollywood madam like Heidi Fleiss when she was prosecuted, well, well, then we started to learn about clients. 
Because right. she was a madam. And they were she either celebrated in... and, or they were shunned, but they were on the well, list. She's a, well, regardless, she's, she's, she's a pimp, yeah. and so she has clients. That's why – that's the only reason it's against the law, trafficking in this. Well, you have to be trafficking to someone, but not in the Epstein case. And so when he was cornered by uh, Fox News' Hillary Vaughn, he said this. Chairman Durbin, can I ask you a quick question? Um, why won't you subpoena Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs? So who are you? Hillary Vaughn with Fox. With Fox, of course. Oh. Uh, I don't know anything about his flight logs. But why won't you subpoena them? Why don't you want to know? I don't know the issue. I know who Epstein was. But I certainly don't know anything about the issue. Well, he was charged with sex trafficking, so why oh don't you God. want to know who was utilizing his never private plane? Never been raised by anyone. Well, Senator Blackburn has wanted to subpoena them, and there hasn't been a vote in your committee. said a word to me, not a word. But aren't you curious, like, what high-profile or powerful people might be closeted predators and pedophiles? Doesn't that concern you? So why won't you subpoena them if you can? It's the first time anyone has raised it. Thank you, Fox. So do you, are you curious about it? Will you do it? 312-642-5600, turnkey depro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. So it, the question is illegitimate because Fox is asking it? Is that what the sarcasm was, Senator? Yeah. I mean, so you, you don't have an interest in it? Well, why does someone need to prompt you in order to uh, get the, that information and then make it public? Well, somebody high up in the Democratic Party has got to be on that flight log because he acted. He did the old, you know, Mayor Lightfoot. Well, it's coming from Fox, then we're just going to dismiss it. Forget the question and just, you know, blame the media outlet for it. I Or is he on the list? I mean, why? And, no. Well, see, I, I don't know. I mean, isn't that a not? That's a bizarre reaction to a question that a lot of people are asking. It's not like it's people want to know. No, nobody brought that up to him. No, yeah, really. Um, do we have the the clip, the Blackburn clip, from the November ninth business meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee? Yes. No. We don't. Well, uh, there. There's a November 9th at a business meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee went through uh, a number of subpoenas she'd like to see issued. And one of them was for the Epstein flight logs. Dick Durbin is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary <laughs> Committee. That was November 9th. So um, there needs to be a follow-up on that. And then Marsha Blackburn continued to raise the issue. So now Dick Durbin can't be unaware of it because Blackburn uh, cornered Ray on the topic yesterday. And since we're in the business of issuing subpoenas now, here are a few more that I've filed. A subpoena oh, to Jeffrey Epstein's estate to provide the flight logs for his private plane, given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and sexual abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein, I think it is very important that we identify everybody that was on that plane and how many trips 
they took on that plane and the destinations to which they arrived. Okay, so there's the November 9th call from Marsha Blackburn before you know, at a Senate Judiciary Committee business meeting over which Durbin provides, presides. And then yesterday she, as I said, get her act together here, uh, she cornered Chris Ray on the same topic. I think people need to know who were on, who was on those planes and how often they were on those planes. I think people who invest in companies would want to know if there are people from their C-suite. And as we go through this, should those logs be made public? They've been heavily redacted. Well, as I said, it's been a while since I looked at the specific case. Uh, I can tell you that we've been increasing year over year both the number of agents focused on these kinds of cases, the number of well, victims we we've rescued. And, yes. and, I'm, and so on to the specific case, uh, let me uh, offer to have my – let me get with my team and figure out if there's more information we can provide to That would be great. Yeah. We have never, even through the Jelaine Maxwell trial, we never got to the bottom of this. And we have these survivors who say, oh, there is so much more. Hmm. They swept it under the rug, and that is wrong. And you need to right that wrong. It's, it sounds like uh, Chris Ray is surprised to hear that. Oh, really? They, they, the uh, survivors said there's much more to this? I mean, is the Epstein case, did that have any profile? Just got lost in the shuffle? I mean, come on. This after the FBI's performance with the Michigan State uh, gymnastics, oh, doctor Jerry for the Dam gymnastics team? Nazar. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, oh, well, uh, let me tell you about all the other work we're doing in this area. No, I, I don't want to hear about the other work in this area. I want to understand why this case. We have the uh, curious death of Epstein in prison. Mm -hmm. You've got his uh, Girl Friday in prison. This was uh, about as high-profile case as you're going to get. And um, Chris Ray is surprised to hear, oh, yeah, this and that. I, I don't recall. Gosh, what? Whatever happened to uh, our disposition of that case? You know, I'm going to have to get with my team on, on that. There's something very striking about the testimony yesterday from Chris Ray, a cross topic, and the testimony from the Ivy League presidents over on the House side. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So yesterday, continuing our discussion of FBI Director Christopher Ray's testimony and also folding in the testimony from Ivy League presidents on the House side about, of course, the rise of anti-Semitism on campus. Something very similar about the nature of the answers you got from the Claudine Gays and the Liz McGills and the Christopher Rays. We'll uh, develop that. There's a definitely a consistency with respect to Christopher Ray's answers, regardless of topic. There was always a reason to not do the right thing. Always a reason. They have these processes over at FBI, and Christopher Ray has initiated all sorts of reforms. Nobody knows what they are because the FBI won't disclose them. But there's always a reason not to use them, the processes, to hold people accountable. John Kennedy, senator from Louisiana, of course, asking Chris Ray about the Hunter Biden laptop. And since the FBI has had it since 2019 and authenticated it ostensibly before 2020, why not uh, set the record straight in the face of the propaganda from Mr. 10% and the uh, deep state actors who penned that letter in, in advance of the 2020 election? Why not set the record straight? Why didn't the FBI just say, hey, the, 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 the laptop's real. Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction. Well, I, I, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But others were story. in government. Well, I can't, again, I can't speak to others in government. Now, that's part of the point that I was trying to make because the Fifth yes, Circuit's sir, but opinion, you're the FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks. We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season because that's precisely some of the problems that led to my predecessor's uh, uh, negative findings from the inspector general. Did you hear a gavel? Uh, so, yeah, no, no. Election season, that's uh, not a time for the truth. God forbid. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could research, excuse me, reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. FBI's hands are tied. They just have to be a spectator and watch deep state actors lie and for the purpose of misleading the public about the Hunter Biden laptop for the purpose of getting Joe Biden elected. Hands tied on that one. Uh, hands tied when it comes to everything related to the investigation into Biden Inc. to the extent there actually is one, which is the point that Ted Cruz made. 
Is the FBI, do they make a routine practice of allowing partisan political optics to prevent investigating serious evidence of corruption? My instructions to our people on this and on every other investigation are that we are to follow the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it, no matter what political influence may be out there. Then why did you get the GPS there. data on where Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were? Again, Senator, with respect, I can't discuss but, but it's an not ongoing investigation. And, and, and Director Ray, you and I have gone round and round on this, because I understand. Anytime you're asked about this, the answer is it's an ongoing investigation. Of course, the investigation isn't ongoing. You're not doing the work. You've got whistleblowers pointing out that you're not doing the work and you are hiding behind the skirts of the Attorney General. Ongoing investigation. Everything's an ongoing investigation. Here's our canned answer about how we go where the facts lead, because we're in the business of law enforcement, not politics. Sure, and we're supposed to believe him. I don't trust him. We're supposed to believe him because he gives the textbook answer. But is the behavior consistent with the textbook answer? Josh Howley querying Christopher Ray about accountability when it comes to the targeting of Catholics. And now, as we found out, mentioned yesterday, per this report on the incident emanating from the Richmond field office for the FBI, FBI agents interviewed a priest interviewed a choir director trying to get information about uh, a parishioner. And this is all because of some manufactured concern about Catholics who attend Latin Mass. They have processes for that. Christopher Ray is appalled, just like Merrick Garland is. Has anybody been held accountable? Director, this is one of the most outrageous targetings. You have mobilized your division, the most powerful law enforcement division in the world, against traditionalist Catholics, whatever the heck that means. And you're just told us you, you have not fired a single person. I mean, here, it gets worse. Your Richmond field office, they thought there was nothing wrong with this. The House interviewed the head of the Richmond field office. He testified. It's all here in the public report. I refer you to it, pages 12, 13, 14. He testified he saw no problem with this. He said he thought it was fine. In fact, we have internal memoranda of the members of the field office high-fiving. One peer reviewer, another member of the field office, wrote, I think this is a great product. I really enjoyed the read. Do you have a problem with systemic bigotry against Catholics in the FBI? No. What are you going to do about this? Are you going to fire these people or not? Those individuals have all been admonished, and it is all going Honest. into their... If you would let me finish my answer, it is all going into their annual performance reviews, which has direct impact on their compensation, among other things. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I see. So the 60 million American Catholics who, we now, who now learn that your FBI has recommended that priests be recruiters and informants, your FBI has gone to... Priests, choir directors, but we're to feel better because you've admonished them for their wrongdoing. You, again, are conflating two different oh, things. When I am we are... your testimony where you said you do not. You said categorically, categorically, you said we do not. We do not go to priests 
and ask them about their parishioners. You said we do not. You didn't say we haven't. You didn't say we won't. You said we don't. As it turns out, you do. And you kept it from the public. You deliberately misled Congress about it. And the only reason we know about it is because a whistleblower came forward. I just That's fundamentally disagree with your characterization. Well, there's no characterization. The facts are the facts. And I fundamentally resent the fact that you have violated, if not the spirit, if not the letter, certainly the spirit of the First Amendment and use your law enforcement agency against Catholics in this nation. Let oh, but wait, there's uh, demerits that go on their permanent record. Frank, Board of Trade, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yes, I've always suspected that the Attorney General wore skirts. That's exactly right. Thanks for the call, Frank. Uh, Merrick Garland fits nicely into the skirts that Loretta Lynch left behind, doesn't he? Uh, more accountability. Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that the uh, Biden administration is pushing to have Congress renew. The stories about the abuses that came out uh, earlier this year. Improper, dare I say, illegal queries by FBI agents into politicians, donors to a particular political party. Guess which one? Americans, not supposed to be used for that. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, foreign nationals, not American citizens, and certainly not politicians or donors to the Republican Party because they're Republicans or donors to Republicans. And uh, what does Chris Ray have to say about that? Here's Mike Lee going back and forth with Ray. Now, in an April 2022 opinion, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court noted the following searches of Americans' communications. 19,000 donors to a particular congressional campaign, 133 Americans participating in civil unrest and protests uh, in the summer of 2020, and um, Americans who were in the vicinity of the Capitol, uh, not necessarily inside the Capitol, but in the vicinity of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. The DNI's semiannual assessment of Section 702 disclosed illegal queries conducted in 2019 to 2020, quote, using only the name of a U.S. congressman. The FISA court disclosed two particularly egregious searches from 2022. In June of 2022, an analyst conducted four queries of 702 information using the last names of a U.S. senator and of a state senator without further limitation. On October 25th, 2022, a staff operations specialist ran a query using the social security number of a state judge who had, quote, complained to FBI about alleged civil rights violations perpetrated by a municipal chief of police, close quote. Were the FBI employees who conducted those illegal searches terminated or did they have their security clearances stripped? Yes or no? Again, I don't know that I can speak to specific instances, but what I can tell you, and I guess is important to this exchange, is that all of the instances you just listed off all involve conduct that occurred before the reforms that before we put in reform. place. You're, before the reforms you put in place, reforms, the text of which we don't even have access to, reforms that you've put in place. I've been on this committee for 13 years. During the entirety of those 13 years, I've expressed concerns two FBI directors appointed by presidents of both political parties and three different presidential administrations. Every darn one of them has told me the same thing. Don't worry about it. We've got this taken care of. We've got new procedures. It's going to be different now. It's never different. You haven't changed. And you keep referring to these 
policies, these new procedures. We haven't seen that. We're not even allowed to have access to it. And we have absolutely no reason to trust you because you haven't behaved in a manner that's trustworthy. You can't even, as we sit here, tell me that people who intentionally, knowingly, deliberately violated the civil rights of American citizens, that, that they were fired or that they had their security clearance stripped. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. I know the Section 702 stuff gets into the weeds a little bit, but it's pretty straightforward. Illegal searches, and they want this renewed. And it will hamstring our ability to keep America safe if it doesn't get renewed. Um, I'd be a no. I think Mike Lee's going to be a no. Yeah. How can you? How do you reward even law enforcement with – uh, uh, expanded powers or an extension of expanded powers when they behave like we've seen the FBI behave both under Comey and now Ray. Oh, and then something happens. Oh, well, that's because uh, you didn't support renewing 702. No, it's because you behaved the way that you behaved, destroying the trust that Americans have in the FBI. And so we responded by doing something you won't do, which is hold bad actors accountable. There's more from Lee. I mean, this is this is like mission critical stuff. More from Lee and how how Ray just blithely ignores the law, adherence to the law in his agency. We have these reforms. Anybody held accountable? I can't speak to that. It's just bureaucratic nonsense. It's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's an attack on the republic. It's a fifth column action. Now, in 2022, FBI and other agencies searched Americans' communications over 200,000 times, only 16 of which were evidence of a crime-only searches that returned information. I'd like to ask you to, to give it a yes or a no uh, answer to these questions. Were the three related batch queries consisting of over, over 23,000 separate queries relating to the events of January 6th, were those evidence of a crime only queries, yes or no? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. The answer, what is, I can't, what, the answer is no. I, what I do I, know the answer. The answer what, is no. Were there 141 I, queries for the activists arrested in connection with the uh, George Floyd protests uh, here in Washington, D.C., evidence of a crime-only queries? Those were non-compliant queries, uh, and again, they all predate the reforms that we've put in place, which, which before we... Which other reforms that ever, other FBI directors which, have told me about to, every darn year. If How about I may... 19,000 donors to a political campaign? The answer there is no. What about the query for a sitting member of Congress? The answer there is no. What about the query involving a U.S. senator, which for all we know could be any one of us? The answer is no. And so what, what does that tell me? Well, what I'm hearing and what these data points all point to is that a warrant requirement or prohibition relating to, quote, unquote, evidence of a crime only queries would not have been uh, something that would have prevented any of the most egregious examples of the abuse that we've seen under Section 702. So the FBI is already required to obtain a court order in some circumstances before accessing the contents of Americans' communications in the context of 702. They're already required for that in some circumstances. Since 2018, how many times has that requirement been triggered, according to government reporting? Do you know? 
Are you talking about the so-called F2? Yes. Yeah, uh, how many times has it been triggered? Yes. I think it. I think there have been two instances where I think is maybe the number. 100, 103. 103 times yeah. it's been triggered. And out of those 103 identified times that the FBI should have obtained a court order, how many times did the FBI actually obtain one? Do you know? Now that, I think the answer is none. Zero. So you're telling me that the FBI has completely ignored the limited court order requirement that it's already subjected to. You have the audacity to come here, and you told us that getting, uh, adding a warrant requirement to 702, even for queries involving U.S. persons on U.S. soil, that that would amount to some sort of unilateral disarmament. That, you have a lot of gall, sir. This is disgraceful. The Fourth Amendment requires more than that, and you know it. I know every single time for centuries, even prior to the founding of this country, there were similar protections built into the laws of the United Kingdom before we became a country. Even then, the government was making the same darn argument you're making today, which is, it's too hard. This would make it hard for the government. It's why we have a constitution, sir, and you must comply with it. Mr. Chairman. So um, the, the language that he uses, illegal searches, non-compliant searches. He has no idea how many times the warrant requirement was triggered. He guesses two, 103, off by a factor of 50, 51. That's pretty good for your director. And he knows that they were non-compliant, to his word, non-compliant. They never got the warrant that was required in those 103 circumstances. And you want us to renew that power? This is um, what is going on at the FBI, as far as I can tell from what is publicly available, is a lot closer to an insurrection than anything that happened on January 6th. I'll tell you that. Mary Kay in Western Springs. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just want to say quickly, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law go to the Latin Mass over on the west side of, the, of Chicago. I'm not sure which parish it is. Um, 1030 every Kansas. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. And, um, yeah, are they being followed around, being targeted? Are they threats to the to the to frickin' society? Isn't that the most ridiculous thing that they're doing at the end of the Catholic, attacking the Catholic Church that way? Talking thanks, to- thanks for the call, Mary Kay. I mean, w- what you heard on all of those topics is an FBI that is operating uh, extra-constitutionally to be generous. That, that's a threat to the republic, as I said. Chris Ray and his operation of the FBI, that's a threat to the republic. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. 
So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Governor Spaulding is uh, making a point to BLM Brandon, isn't he, about who's in charge of the state of Illinois. And it's not you, BLM Brandon. That, I think, is the overriding point that he made when uh, he had his IPEA put a halt to the construction of that migrant base camp in Brighton Park. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro text line. And there's so, so many questions to be asked. Why did it go on for so long? Dan, four tents are up, including two ginormous ones, but then there's also electrical that's been in there, water, sewage. It's all been in, in place. Of course, the neighbors were so excited because they've been standing outside that construction site for months now banging their drums and their pots and pans. Like if I hit the lottery, it's not why I only hit the lottery, my neighborhood hit the lottery. We won, the hard work paid off. Good news today, finally we win the case. Feeling like somebody's hearing us. Yeah. Is somebody hearing them or do they really, I mean, do they, because now that group is filing a a lawsuit because they want to make sure that all the alleged contaminated soil is taken out of the area to keep them safe as residents well it's it's unclear to me i mean here's the thing that they might want to remember as we've talked about is that uh jelly belly has committed millions tens of millions hundreds of millions really ultimately of dollars to uh underwriting the sanctuary state that is illinois and the migrants that are arriving here yeah and but he has also said several times he does not want tents up he said that in several news conferences, there's empty Mick and brick and mortar buildings that we could use, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because he wants to hide it. Exactly, because he wants to run for president. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. But here's here's the deal. So the city it's paid a long run up to that. True, but the city paid fifty thousand dollars to Terracon Consulting to conduct this environmental assessment. They came out with that eight hundred page report on Friday in the afternoon. You see what I'm saying? Um, Pritzker was mad because reporters got it before his governor's office did. Correct. And mercury. So what they did to remediate the problem, they took six inches of soil where there was mercury near base camp sleeping tent one, and they removed it, brought it to a safe site, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then they laid down gravel and said that that was fine. The problem was taken care of. And it's not taken care of because now he comes in and says... It's not working, but Brandon Johnson thinks, oh, we're, we're, this isn't, no, 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 wait, this isn't over yet. Yeah, well, first of all, the mission is still very much alive. Um, I've said from the very beginning, especially as winter is approaching and weather is shifting, um, is to get people out of police stations, um, women, children sleeping on the floors, no, those who are right sleeping now. outside, to, to, to remove people from police districts. And we've, we've been doing that work. Um, in fact, I believe the latest number that I have, uh, there were almost 4,000 people in police districts as well as the airport. 
Um, that number is now down to under 500. So that work continues uh, because of the type of collaboration. Yeah, well, he's got a problem, uh, BLM Brandon. What, I mean, they, they all do. But BLM Brandon's problem is he's basically got to locate these uh, migrant shelters, whether it's a existing structure or new ones, in Latino wards. Because he's not going to get away with it. Increasingly, he's not going to get away with it in black and white words. And I hate to talk about Chicago like that, but that's the that's the reality of Chicago. And it's the reality of the identitarian politics that are being played right back at Brandon Johnson. He thought that he was in on it this with the governor, that that the, that the IEPA was working with, you know, this consulting group. He said the state never questioned the testing methods until now. There was no additional information that was provided that would have led us to believe that this particular report that has been validated to be safe by third parties, um, that, that somehow um, that that operation will be halted. Well, this is the thing. I mean, this this that there's politics here. Obviously, if Pritzker wanted to, you know, he could have essentially had the IEPA green light this. I mean, right. let's just be real about how this works. So this isn't about safety, but but they're all confused. I mean, uh, your buddy Vasquez then comes out after uh, the halting of this construction and says, yeah, you know, we better err on the side of caution and safety and we don't want, uh, you know, to come back years from now and people would have gotten sick because we didn't do uh, enough remediation of the property. Well, 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 why are you saying that now? And you weren't saying that when the project was moving ahead. You're saying that now only because Pritzker stopped it. So Vasquez is trying to middle, seems to me, Pritzker and Brandon Johnson on this. It's all political posturing. This has nothing to do with any interest, uh, any concern uh, for the best interests of the migrants or certainly Chicago residents. We know that. But Pritzker, is, it, it, Pritzker, this is an opportunity for him to do a couple of things. One, as I sort of suggested, assert uh, his dominance politically. That's what he wants to do. He also recognizes that, look, um, this is an easy opportunity to score political points against a city that and a city and a city hall under this uh, mayor that is uh, universally understood to be dysfunctional. And also to basically say, hey, look, when I ask for information, you give me information. You don't uh, you don't uh, backdoor me uh, by releasing it to the press and moving ahead uh, without my assent. And the problem is and this is why it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out is, you know, the sense is that BLM Brandon and his uh, top guy, Jason Lee, you know, who comes to us uh, from AFSME by way of Harvard. That's his, that's really his top advisor. This guy hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but that's who it is. Um, they're not listening to anybody. They're going to they're gonna do what they want to do, and they're certainly not going to take orders from JB. So there's a little bit of a power struggle going on, but it's all politics. It has nothing to do with, with safety. <laughs> it has nothing to do with, you know, on second thought, you know, the Brighton Park residents are right. Or, you know, hey, you know what? Why don't we just measure twice and cut once when it comes to this base camp to make sure it's it's really safe for the migrants? That, those are not the conversations. That is not the dynamic. Don't think it's about concern for other human beings. It's it's about concern for the political power that the two parties have. And we don't even know if they can get out of the lease that they signed. I mean, we're paying $92,000 a month for that land. It's about 10 acres. 
Can they get out of that? And there's so many well, other, unser- all, other un- unanswered questions about how much money went into the Brighton Park location that does not to be be it's not viable now. So what what do you do with that? I mean, it's it's a humongous structure. Well, first of all, I mean, first of all, the money doesn't matter to BLM Brandon or Jelly Belly. You understand this. The other right. people's money doesn't matter to them. That's number one. Number two, I'd be surprised, but I maybe I shouldn't be. If the Corp Council, which, you know, would negotiate the the terms of the lease with the city for this property, if they didn't have a rider in there about clearing, uh, you know, getting IEPA clearance to move forward with construction as con- as a contingency in the, in the in the lease, I'd be surprised. But perhaps we don't know. Well, that's a public document, so somebody should be able to obtain that at some point. Uh, and then we also I mean, it's it's expensive now to and it's time consuming to have to do the necessary remediation to get IEPA clearance but they could still move forward and do that if they wanted I don't know. and uh, the reason i say that is because what they got uh, they got a couple hundred beds at that location in little village they got uh, 300 beds at the the location at St. Bart's in Portage Park they don't have they don't have enough sites right now they don't have enough space unless they're going to do you know uh, sort of the L.A., put them in hotels with uh, mm. open rooms or some other or put them where, uh, uh, you know, Grand Lux Cafe used to be or something like that. They, they they don't have enough sites for the people coming in. And by the way, they're still coming in. Oh, they're yeah. going to come. I mean, New York, they're just they, there was, you know, New York Post reporting yesterday about more buses coming to New York with more migrants. Abbott's still going to send them up here. So this is going to get more complicated, not less. And, the, you know, winter is approaching and the, the tents that they removed outside of police stations in certain ones, not all of them. I'm sure they're going to be popping back up. I mean, the, what, the place in Little Village that you're talking about, that's going to house only 200 people. That's yeah. not 2000. And that place is going to be for women and children and kids with special needs. Well, that's this is my point. I know. Tony Roselle, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. I'm, thanks for taking my call. I'm curious about the six inches of gravel. There's a park. At 29th in Sacramento, that was built on a site that was contaminated, and they added something like six feet of topsoil to cover the, the site. And it's above street; it's well above street level. And I'm thinking six inches of gravel. That doesn't sound remotely like an EPA-approved method of uh, dealing with that. Well, somebody that was cited in the study is Dr. Susan Buchanan. She's a UIC professor, and she talked about how it was removed and is it safe and the dangers of mercury. The mercury that they found would put humans at risk, but they removed it from that site. The levels that they found um, in the soil, not in the air coming from the soil, those levels put people at risk only if they ingest the soil. So that putting the six inches of crushed rock on top should be fine on a temporary basis. Well, I mean, it's not like they're city council members, so they probably won't eat the dirt. I'm probably more sophisticated than the political leadership of I like the city, what you did there. Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't, I'm not too so concerned about that. Well, I mean, but if there's kids there, and you know how kids. You well, know. I look, I'm not. Yeah, but you're you're also covering it. I, I'm not an environmental engineer. I don't know, but um, it's either. Uh, well, I mean, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if that uh, putative expert is correct. And it's just straight power politics. That wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. If it's actually not, you know, a site that's unsafe, it's just Pritzker making a point here. He wants to Chicago. He wants Chicago to look as good as possible for the DNC 
in August of next year. Well, that's true. And that's not a good look. Uh, Joe in Naperville. Yeah, you know, congratulations to these leaders because they bamboozled us. They're glossing over the original sin. Where is it legal for them to be providing all this money for these migrants? Where in the Constitution does it say that they shall be able to give my money to these people? Where was the money appropriated for this? Where is all this? How come there's not lawsuits against aiding and abetting illegal aliens? I don't get this. Uh, thanks for the call, Joe. I mean, that's funny. Did you just invoke the Constitution? What does that have to do with how things work in Chicago or Illinois? I mean, <laughs> this the is Constitution. A waste Where does the money, money come from? The money comes from the uh, the General Assembly that conferred uh, Pritzker all sorts of latitude to uh, direct billions and billions of Illinois taxpayer dollars how he sees fit. What do you mean? I mean, let's not be naive. And who's going to file the lawsuit? What, what the the activist citizenry in uh, in Illinois that's uh, grounded in the black letter of the state and federal constitutions? Where, where do they live? Can you identify them for me? I mean, let's get real. This imaginary political opposition that people keep referencing. Glenn in Oakbrook. Yeah. Good morning. It, it seems to me that when a gas station owner encounters a leak in a storage container that there's a lot of effort being done to remove the uh, leaking tank and get rid of the contaminated soil uh it seems to be more uh, activity in that uh scenario than there is in the topsoil for the migrants and stuff has anyone ever looked into what's the difference when the gas a uh, gas storage container leaks thanks for the call glenn uh the other glenn in mount greenwood Hey, Glenn. Glenn. Oh. The other Glenn in Mount Greenwood is gone. Oh. Um, I've got an idea. How about barges on the lake? And 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 I don't just mean you know the uh, Spartan barges. I mean like a party barge. Oh, a bar. Like, why don't we just put? Why don't we just build like a little party barges or uh-huh. islands, like like Blarney's Island up on uh, Chain of Lakes? Oh yeah, yeah. With the why don't we just hanging? do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when it's closer to the DNC, they can push them further away. Like, oh, you guys are going on a tour of uh, New Buffalo, Michigan. Yeah, well, just, uh, just you take do them the... out to sea for a little bit, and then they have their you know dog and pony show, and then bring them back. Um, just just do the um, have them um, participate in the race to Mackinac, and just leave them. There. Oh, I mean, this is to the DNC. Just... And I by drove way, by that spot. I mean, you can't, the the engineering it was beautifully made. Two very large tents, and then ones on the side, and you can see all the all the electrical that's there and the the heat. I, I just this is going to cost millions of dollars to no, take back no, down. So what? I don't know. Come on, mil, mil, oh millions of dollars. Blah. Well, it's blah, It's just blah. such a colossal waste of time and energy. It's so stupid. It's so Chicago. Um. By the way, is that Susan Buchanan? Is that Susan Buchanan from Oak Park? Uh-oh, I don't know. Remember Susan Buchanan from Oak Park? She's some sort of half-assed doctor, as I re- recall. She's the city council member in Oak Park. This uh, oh, yeah. shrieking feminist lunatic who told uh, people that they can't talk because they're white. I mean, she is too, but she can talk. But other trustees and um, uh, a um, the uh, Arab-American... Uh, Oak Park Village president at the time. 
That's Susan Buchanan? I do not know. I'll, I'm going to look. Huh. That would be fitting. And it would be it would make sense that she would be there to be a mouthpiece for BLM Brandon. She's a big Black Lives Matter fan, too. Big defund the policer. Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for getting to me. You switched topics on me, but let me weigh in on this one. Did I hear correctly that there were no building permits filed for the building of the structure? Yes. How did the city get around that? Because they are the city. <laughs> Thanks for the call. But yeah, they hired the right expediter for the eighth floor. George in Naperville. Yeah, Dan, I think this is all going down because our governor is upset with Chicago's mayor because he didn't accept the results of the Civil War. <laughs> yes, I think that's right. Um, I don't I, I don't think he's referring to white leftists like Pritzker, though. It's maybe. Yeah, right. But uh, right. There's a. It's I think it was the right wing extremists that uh, are upset that a black man is free, according to BLM Brandon. And uh, he better uh, dust off that rap because he's going to need some misdirection plays the way this thing is going. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, before we get to uh, Riley Gaines before the House Committee, uh, as we were talking about with respect to the um, migrant base camp construction in Brighton Park, and uh, and Amy brought us Susan Buchanan, Dr. Susan Buchanan, uh, BLM Brandon's go-to gal to give the high sign to say it's environmentally safe, the uh, Brighton Park location. Um, just this instant flashback, this oh, what, oh, I this classic wait. Susan Buchanan um, at a village board meeting telling her fellow honkies on the board and the, as I mentioned, the uh, president at the time of the village who was of uh, Palestinian extraction to shut up. Yeah, I, I... I don't want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, Come I'm on. serious. Susan. Jim, why Come do you have on. an opinion Come on. on this? Come on, Susan. Susan, this is... I won't say a word. That's why I like to. You shouldn't have an opinion on I that. Met this is I met with constituents of if color, and quite honestly, on some equity. of the feedback was that some of this wording was ridiculous. No. You have been white from birth. Why are you arguing? What is a system of oppression? You've never experienced one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So shut up. Uh, I don't oh, want I can't. Stop, Dino. You are not oppressed. And people in Oak Park are. And we are trying to recognize that as a community. Mm -hmm. This mayor and this board is obviously not willing to face history. We have a chance to make history. It is time for this community Mm -hmm. Um, to face equity enough. And you stop it. You are a white male. I, you true. stop it. You are a white male. Your skin stop. is light enough. I'm stop it. I got to look. I think if we um, reduce these conversations to nobody cares what you have to say because you're a white male, I, I, I don't think we're doing this right. You stop it. 
You said, you stop it. Stop now. You are a white male. I love the, uh, I love the Khrushchevian pounding of the uh, lectern with her heel uh, or Birkenstock, whatever she was wearing. Anyway, that's Susan Buchanan. Well, maybe she's with BLM's Johnsonville tents because she doesn't want them in Oak Park. Yeah, Deep she's down a, inside, like we have to put him somewhere, and we don't want him over here. She's uh, right. She's busy dealing with all of those oppressed residents of Oak Park, trying to lift them up. You know, there's only so much that one Susan Buchanan can do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, just, and also too, we're, we're learning this morning that Governor Pritzker is working with the Archdiocese of Chicago to find more brick and mortar vacant spots to house sure. migrants. Yeah, put them in holy name. Uh, why not, uh, oh, yeah, Cardinal Supich? And, and definitely, you want to be constructive there after he just uh, ended your. The tech trust scholarship program yeah. that will result in probably 10 to 15 arch schools closing. But, yeah, okay. Uh, Cardinal Supich at the ready. Brilliant. All right, let's move on. Riley Gaines uh, talk, talking uh, trans sports before a House committee. And, by the way, before even that testimony, she was uh, making some news. Uh, this after uh, two uh, cyclists, two dudes— uh, were uh, first and second in the Illinois State Cyclocross Championships over the weekend. There was a. So you picture a, these dudes? Yeah, there yeah. was a woman who who finished third, but uh, two dudes finished one two, and uh, Riley Gaines offered this on Twitter: Any woman who doesn't compete and loses out on prize money, I will happily pay the fee out of my own pocket in any sport. Stop playing their game. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text line. Yeah, I agree with her. I uh, I agree with her. Let those two uh, dudes uh, in those cyclocross events let them compete against one, one another. It'll end cyclocross. Well, we knew this was coming. I mean, like ten years ago, I talked to some Canadian coach cyclist who said, "Well, we're we're going to have a problem." I said, "What's going on?" He said, "We can't compete against transgenders. I have to hire." And put on my team transgenders in order to compete because that's the new thing in cycling. And yeah, everyone says, you know, like those squishy Republicans are like, well, let's have a third category. We'll have male. We'll have female. Well, you we'll used have to say that. I know I did because I was squishy and I'm not squishy anymore. Well, I'm good. setting a I'm marker glad. down. I'm glad you're not squishy anymore. All right, well, then throw some money into the pot with Riley Gaines and uh, give uh, prize money to women to not compete against uh, uh, men and to try to restore some sanity to sport, at least the sport world. Um, there's more sanity that needs to be restored, but that's a start. Riley Gaines and Summer Lee, who is a, a Dem socialist from Pennsylvania, had uh, this little back and forth uh, after uh, Gaines's testimony at this uh, before this congressional subcommittee. Such as teamwork and goal setting. In terms of mental health, studies show Summer that participating Lee. in youth sports is associated with lower rates of anxiety and depression, lower amounts of stress, higher self-esteem and confidence. Women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and right. fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my tes testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Thank you. Zing. <laughs> I like Riley Gaines. She's feisty. Uh, Madam Chair, excuse me. I move to have uh, the gentlewoman's words taken down. Oh, please. Yeah. The committee will suspend. And it went back and forth. Madam Chair, she's engaging in personalities. As if you have one. 
Can I just ask how it's fair to be called transphobic? There's a thing. I would say men disguising themselves as women are engaging in personalities. Order. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> order, order. Let's, let's get a ruling. And the ruling? Okay, I move to withdraw the point of order. All right, uh, misogynist stands. Good for Riley Gaines. Uh, but it didn't end there. The silliness didn't end there because AOC is on this subcommittee. Oh, no. The uh, front girl for the Socialist oh, Spice no. Girls. Oh, mm-hmm. no. And uh, she knows what's really going on here. Okay. What's really going on here? You want the straight dope from AOC? What's really afoot here with people like Riley Gaines? Oh, yeah. She's got it. She's got Riley Gaines dead to rights. There's so many resources and energy and time dedicated to figuring out how we can more finely exclude them um, from our sports. And I thought, why? Why? Why so much effort and dedication on such a tiny portion of the U.S. population when there virtually is no major issue that is, um, that is precipitating? And started to realize that a lot of these proposals here um, involve invasion of privacy of all mm. women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You picking up what she's laying down? This is men wanting to see uh, everybody's naughty parts. And so we're seeing here in this guise, under the guise of not only trying to further marginalize trans women and girls, we are talking about opening up all women and girls to genital examinations when they are under age. That's right. Potentially just because someone can point to someone and say, I don't think you're a girl. That's correct. And we're saying this in an environment of a post-Dobbs America where states are criminalizing access to abortion and want nothing more than data on women to figure out when, who's getting a menstrual cycle, who doesn't have one. Oh, my God. And we're supposed to believe that this is going to make us better and safer? I think not. And per usual, I don't believe we're sitting here in a panel of men that has actually thought about the biology and privacy consequences of all women, trans or cisgender here. Is she high? Is she on something? I mean, can I get a time out here? Yeah, can you all lift up your skirt, please? We just want to check about... Your naughty bits. This is all about oh men wanting to get information about a minor girl's menstrual cycles to create some sort of database to prevent them from getting an abortion. You follow? Wow, that is quite the stretch, Dan. <laughs> oh, man. That's, this is their best new argument? And I love the uh, the other. I mean, it's just it's it's really remarkable. By the way, it's not a panel of men. The uh, chairperson oh, of the committee is a Republican, boy. a woman. Yeah. Uh, you have Riley Gaines and uh, a pa- panel of women: a woman from the Heritage Foundation, a woman from the Women's Law Center that was me tooing AOC as she was going off and and chasing this black helicopter that she released. Um, so I, I that doesn't make any sense either. But something else that she said too. You know, it's just such. Oh, we're trying to marginalize a an already uh, marginalized uh, subset of the population that's so small. Well, here's another example 
of a small percentage of a big number can become a big challenge. We talked about that with uh, Islamic terrorists, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying use this as a model, right? Yes, most uh, Muslims the world over are peaceful, pluralist, uh, and uh, uh, nonviolent individuals, but a small percentage are not, and a small percentage of 1.5 billion people can be a big problem. We talked about that uh, throughout the course of the 21st century with uh, the efforts to combat uh, Islamofascism. Well, with respect to uh, men playing women's sports, for example, in this case, we gave you uh, parts of the story the other day about uh, the report card in Oregon that finds a 57% increase among the student population in the state of Oregon in those identifying as gender fluid. Well, a 57% increase gives you uh, 3,000 Oregonian kids that are gender fluid. And some subset of that, that could be boys that are going to play girls' sports. So um, that's, not a, that's a small percentage of the overall student population in Oregon. But when you start talking about potentially dozens and hundreds of boys playing girls' sports, then you have a bit of a problem, not just with injuries but with unfairness and all of the other uh, associated issues here. So to say it's a small percentage of the population, so uh, this is a waste of time, is... Um, misleading and the rest of obviously what AOS has said is just uh, unmitigated lunacy but uh, okay that's where it's at oh and by the way to the Heritage Foundation uh, uh, analyst that was there uh, with Riley Gaines essentially sharing the same position as Riley Gaines and making the case she was a collegiate athlete she's the mom of a collegiate athlete making the same case that uh, that uh, Riley Gaines was making Here's another member of this august subcommittee, Jasmine Crockett from Texas, saying this about the Heritage Foundation. No need to address the merits of what uh, this woman is saying when you can just smear the organization. In fact, Ms. Perry, I know your organization, the Heritage Foundation, loves Texas. Ooh, they love Texas. They always sending us some nonsense bills um, that somehow set this country on the wrong trajectory. They send them to Texas. They send them to Florida. Every deplorable state that we can think about, they usually come in out of y'all's think tank. Um, Every so, deplorable state? So Texas is a deplorable state. She's a congresswoman from Texas. Hmm. Okay. Well, I don't know she can uh, wrestle with uh, her constituents about that. Uh, good stuff. Good, 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 good stuff from those rank-and-file socialist Spice Girls. Ed in Oakbrook, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, you, you know what amazes me? Why are Republicans even get involved with this? This is such a stupid issue. And the fact of the matter is, we're not winning this argument. The, it, who's offended by this or affected by this? It's women. So, And who's voting Democrat? Women. Let them fight it out themselves. You can't win this argument. You saw AOC. Unbelievably, she's a congresswoman. They're saying, you know, white males. Well, that's what the humanoids in the Democratic Party, and they all are the humanoids, they hear that and they automatically hate white males, just like that lady in Oak Park hates white males. So stay out of it. Let the Democratic women, if they feel so offended by this, let them fight it out. And in fact, another thing, you're actually hurting white males because, you know what, if I had any decent skills in golf, I would join the ladies' golf association and pick up all of that change because any guy could beat a girl in golf. 
On the professional level, I bet any guy, professional male golfer, can beat the top women golfer. Right. Annika Sorsen, remember, Thanks she tried that. Out. And, you know, we don't tee off on the same boxes that you do, if you know what I mean. Um, of course, I completely disagree with that. I've made that uh, clear. Um, and it's a silly argument that Ed makes because, first of all, right. uh, the only uh, cohort of women that are majority Democrat are single women. Married women are majority Republican. And married women um, are likely to have children. And we also have the responsibility as a father to protect your daughters. And we've seen, again, the injuries that have occurred because of the absence of that. Right. So, no, this is a little bit more than just let the ladies fight this out. This is everybody's deal because it's about the sort of society we live in, not to mention suborning the lie that a man pretending to be a woman or a boy pretending to be a girl is a girl. And those two transgenders who took you know gold and silver at that cycling championship in Illinois last weekend, they took two spots away from yes. women. Where are, where are the feminists? From the '60s and the '70s, you know, well, that were that were projecting that wanted we, you know, equal opportunities for women. Well, interestingly, that that so those are the turfs, the trans exclusionary uh, feminists, uh, the trans exclusionary ra- radical feminists. A lot of those second wave feminists are opposed to this, which is interesting. Interesting coalition, um, and of course, uh, South Park nicely captured oh, what's I going on this. here too. Uh, this is the. Uh, Randy Macho Man Savage character deciding that he's a woman and wants to compete. But first, of course, you have to deal with the uh, mindless automatons, the women who are uh, complicit in their own exclusion from sport. Champion of the strong woman competition, strong woman. Miss Woman, do you feel ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready, David. There are just so many amazing women athletes out here today. It makes me so proud. Now, this is the first year that a trans woman is in the competition. How do you feel about that? Amazing. I feel honored to be a part of history. I have a lot of incredible trans friends who are athletes, and so we're all inspired this woman's competing. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, have you actually ever met Heather Swanson? Uh, No, I've never competed against her before, no. She's not exactly your average trans athlete. Well, what is an average trans athlete? Honestly, I find that kind of bigoted, David. Okay. Heather Swanson is actually joining us now. Miss Swanson, how does it feel to be competing today? I can't tell you how free I feel now that I've started identifying as a woman. Now that I can compete as female, I'm ready to smash the other girls. And is it correct you just started identifying as female two weeks ago? I'm not here to talk about my transition. I'm here to kick some ass. Let me tell you something, Dingleberry. David Perry. I'm gonna roll up the other women here, and I'm gonna smoke them. I am the strongest woman this state has ever seen. Any words for the challenger, Miss Woman? Uh, good luck, Heather. <laughs> luck is for dudes. Well, with that, let's get right to the action. Oh, uh, yeah. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. 
Thought of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, over the first few days of the COP28 conference in Dubai, uh, that's uh, focused on eco-supremacy, we've uh, had uh, both Secretary of State uh, Kankles and Longface as the uh, featured representatives of uh, our fair country. John Kerry reissuing his fatwa against fossil fuels. To mention that there's only one simple reason we are in the predicament we are in. No rocket science needed, no new algorithm, no mathematician genius. This is happening because we burn fossil fuel unabatedly in the world. And that's what's doing this. Uh, sort of a weak uh, golf applause there for that yeah. uh, definitive statement against uh, fossil fuels where the source of 80% of America's electricity. But uh, anyway, and then you had uh, Kankel's following up, uh, spewing lies about uh, uh, climate deaths, climate-related deaths from hot versus cold. Well, she only talked about hot. She didn't talk about cold. Golly, I wonder why. We're seeing uh, and beginning to pay attention and to count and record uh, the deaths that are related to climate, and by far the biggest killer is extreme heat. I mean, even in Europe last summer, which uh, has the ability to count and figure out what happened, they recorded 61,000 deaths because of the heat in Europe. We don't have that kind of number yet from Africa, Asia, Latin America, but we know and estimate that we probably uh, could uh, measure about 500,000 deaths. And the majority of those are women and girls, and particularly pregnant women. Uh-huh. And uh, this was all leading up to uh, the godfather of eschatological, apocalyptic, climate falderall. He's back. Al Gore. Oh. A little hat tip to rush there. Uh, Al Gore um, going off on this bizarre rant about social media. One of the things that you have to do, you see, in order to protect the bloviations of a John Kerry and a Hillary Clinton is shut down opposing viewpoints. We know this. The, the, the uh, uh, censorship industrial complex has a role to play here if you have social media that is dominated by algorithms that uh, pull people down these uh, rabbit holes that are a bit like pitcher plants these algorithms uh, they are the digital equivalent of ar-15s they ought to be oh banned God. they really ought to be banned it's an abuse of the public forum but when these when people are pulled down these uh, rabbit holes you know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole? That's where the echo chamber is. Uh, and if you spend too much time in the echo chamber, what's weaponized is another form of AI, not artificial intelligence, artificial insanity. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. QAnon is just the <laughs> best known version of artificial I I insanity. And th these uh, devices are the enemies of self-government, and they're the enemies of democracy. We need reforms for both democracy and capitalism. Both, are, both sets of reforms are possible. Exactly. Uh, we, we need to eliminate the First Amendment just like the Second. And, um, you know, then we can get on with it.
Uh, for a response to what is uh, being emitted from Dubai at this conference, pleased to be joined by Bjorn Lumberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Think Tank, author of Best Things First. Bjorn, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan and Amy. It's great to be here. Well, it's a jump ball. Um, you uh, respond to whichever uh, American luminary you'd like. <laughs> well, they're certainly giving us a very one-sided perspective. So, look, global warming, as, as uh, you also know, is a problem. Uh, but you really got to put it in context. As you mentioned, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, uh, estimated there's 500,000 heat deaths. And she's probably right. What she forgot to tell you is that every year there's about 4.5 million cold deaths. You're not well informed if you only say, oh, my God, there are more heat deaths and forget to say, but because of global warming, there's also fewer cold deaths. You actually need to tell both things. And of course, that goes to the whole Al Gore point. Uh, you're probably not well informed if you only hear the talking points that have been anointed uh, by the climate crowd. Uh, and and this really does get back to, you know, John Kerry's point of saying, oh, it's fossil fuels that are causing this. Yes, global warming is caused by fossil fuels emitting CO2. But remember, we don't burn fossil fuels to annoy Al Gore. We burn it because it fundamentally supports everything we like about civilization. Uh, and, and so it's a little bit like making this very naive uh, comparison and saying, you know what? There's an obesity crisis that causes food. So we should eradicate food. <laughs> no, that's not how you do logic. What you need to do is to find a technology that doesn't emit CO2, but still provides you with lots of cheap and useful energy. That's how you fix climate change, but not just by banning fossil fuels. You're actually going to end up making us, us all much, much poorer. Well, is there something out there that can do that? Not right now, because if there was, if there was something that was cheaper, remember, everybody tells you solar and wind is cheaper, uh, but that's only when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. Uh, but most people, reasonably I know, actually want power 24-7. And there it is mostly, there are a few places, but mostly not competitive. If there was a competitive alternative, we'd all have switched. China would have switched to this new thing. But we should be researching those new technologies. So obviously, switching from coal to gas, because gas emits a lot less CO2, that's a smart idea. We should get everybody fracking, not just the US. And we should be investing a lot more in getting, for instance, fourth generation nuclear power going. It may be one of the solutions. Imagine if you know these new small modular reactors, they're incredibly safe. If they're also incredibly cheap, everyone would buy them. But again, this is a question about making sure that the future becomes so, so cheap for green energy that not just rich, well-meaning Americans will buy a little bit of it to show off, but China, India, and Africa will do so as well. Well, I, I had this conversation with uh, Judith Curry, the former head of atmospheric sciences at Georgia Tech, um, my counterculture podcast, which you can check out at uh, amgreatness.com. Anyway, one of the things that uh, she pointed out, too, and I think we've discussed this, but, you know, there's so much we don't know, too. It turns out um, that uh, understanding the dynamics of what uh, uh, causes temperature increases or temperature decreases is complicated because the uh, climate is a complicated thing to study. And it's sort of been borne out by all of the uh, predictions of uh, the models that uh, that Al Gore relied on two decades ago, three decades ago. 
that uh, have not proven up. I mean, he was predicting end times uh, well before AOC was doing it. Um, and so uh, part of this, though, too, is we have to have some humility about what we don't know in addition to what we think we know and continue the investigation. We, we don't really know, do we, the absolute impact you know, on a percentage basis, on a distribu- distributive basis of, of, of use of fossil fuels, of, of man, if you will, in terms of climate change, as opposed to the vagaries of, of, of the powerful forces that comprise our climate, the chemistry and the physics associated so, with climate. So, Dan, uh, Judith Curry is a great woman, and I love uh, what she's doing. I'm totally going to defer to her because she's a scientist. She's a natural scientist. I'm just a lowly social scientist. So what I try to point out is that even if you get all of this stuff right on the climate models, and I think she's very right in saying there's a lot more uncertainty than we than we normally talk about, but even if we got all of this right, we got to realize that mankind is incredibly adaptable. When sea levels rise, that's going to be a problem, yes, but it's not like it's going to drown hundreds of millions of people because we actually know how to deal with rising sea levels. Holland is a great example of that. And for very little resources over 100 years, we will mostly protect almost everywhere on the planet. We already know this from social science models. So what we got to realize is Currently, the COP28, as you're talking about this this uh, uh, gap fest on, on climate, is telling us we need to go net zero by 2050. What they're not telling us is that the impacts are probably going to be a lot smaller than what you're normally told because we'll actually adapt. But what they are totally not telling you is the costs are going to be phenomenal. So there are actually two new papers out that shows how much will going net zero by 2050 cost the world? And the short answer is it will cost $27 trillion each and every year this century. That's just a phenomenal amount of money. Remember, the total global GDP today is about $100 billion. Now, we'll be richer throughout the century, so it'll be a little less, but it will be an inordinate amount of money that we're being asked to offer up to fix a much smaller problem. That's just a bad deal. Well, and the uh, the other part of this, too, which is sort of glossed over, so much of it is, um, you don't have buy-in from OPEC. You don't have buy-in from Russia. <laughs> you don't have buy-in from China and India, as you mentioned. So if you're talking about saving the planet, then you're ha- going to have to include these other actors. Yes. And, that's, and Dan, you're spot on, because fundamentally, the problem here is, You can probably convince most of Europe, uh, some of America, some of the other rich countries in the world. But remember, if every country in the rich world went net zero today and stayed net zero for the rest of the century, which, of course, would be phenomenally expensive and basically stop modern life as we know it. Even if that happened, we would reduce temperatures by the end of the century by less than one degree Fahrenheit. Yes, it would have some impact, but only a small impact because the majority of the emissions are going to come from China, India, and Africa. And as you mentioned also, Russia and the other uh, OPEC uh, uh, people and some from Latin America. But the fundamental point is, this is only going to work if we get everybody else on board. And we're only going to do that if we have the uh, innovations that Amy and I talked about earlier. You know, if we come up with cheap green energy for the future, everyone will switch. If it's still going to be as expensive, you know, 
Democrats and, and some European countries are going to try and do it, and it'll have no impact, but it will be very costly. So in the 1960s, they told us that oil would be gone in 10 years. In the 80s, remember, acid rain is going to destroy all the crops in 10 years. And I loved it in the 90s when they asked us not to use hairspray because the ozone layer is going to be gone in 10 years. Remember that one? So Mm -hmm. what's the next thing? What's the big scare? Well, the the next thing, obviously, is climate. And and again, it's important to say all of these issues were, to a certain extent, Problems. So acid rain did affect some very vulnerable lakes, uh, especially you know, in Norway and up in New England, those kinds of places. Uh, the ozone layer was a problem, but it was by no means the end of the world as, as it was being portrayed. And the solution, of course, especially for the ozone layer, was not to make everyone feel ashamed and stop using spray cans. It was to find replacements for these ozone-depleting substances. And DuPont came up with that. And suddenly it only cost a couple hundred billion dollars to fix. And we did that over you know, a couple of decades. Again, you fix a problem when it's cheap to fix, or even better if it's advantageous. You don't fix a problem if you're asking people basically to be poorer, colder, less convenient, eat less, drive less, all these stuff. That's not going to work. You're not going to win elections doing that. That was a huge development uh, going from the aerosol can to the pump spray. I mean, John Kerry alone uh, <laughs> saved uh, saved the planet with that uh, transition, right? Um, so we've gone. So it was a combustion engine that was uh, a greater threat to um, the world than nuclear holocaust. That's what Al Gore said uh, mm. two and a half decades ago. And and it's, and, 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 and it's just not. Well, I, I right. Well, apparently, um, and uh, now it's your washing machine. Yes. Well, it's everything, right? You have to stop eating meat. You have to stop driving. You have to stop flying. And you have to stop doing all these things. And again, there's two points to this. First, it's just not going to go down well with most voters in the long run, uh, both because they don't want the cost, they don't want the inconvenience. But also, it's not how you convince everyone else. You're just not going to convince Africans and Indians and Chinese that are coming out of poverty and actually, understandably so, want a better life. They're not going to say, OK, I'm going to give that up. I'm going to you know, get used to poverty instead. They will want to get out of poverty. We should support them. But we should also invest in the R&D so that eventually we get these green technologies that'll sustain us in the long run. I mean, we should fix climate change in the long run, but we should fix it smartly. And we're not doing that. And we're certainly not doing it when we're scaring everyone with us. Yeah. Save the planet from the people seems to be the value proposition out of COP28. Bjorn Lumberg, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Think Tank, author of Best Things First. Bjorn, thank you as always. Dan and Amy, great to talk. Thanks. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Moving from the Bond villains uh, in Dubai to Bond villains uh, here at home at present, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. I know there's been good news that uh, the ESG investments have been on the wane, but uh, Larry Fink is uh, not at all inhibited by that development. Listen to what he said 
uh, sitting next to the Amex CEO, by the way, during the uh, New York Times deal book uh, confab about ESG and the attitude he has about what he's pushing. And again, between BlackRock and Vanguard, the leverage they have on most of corporate America. Behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing we're, going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. What we are doing internally is if you don't achieve these levels of impact, it, your compensation could be impacted, okay? You have to force behaviors, and if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. Force behaviors, gender and race. You know what that is. I mean, that's all the die stuff. Mm -hmm. So for all the uh, encouragement that we've gotten from the reporting that uh, die is on the wane and ESG is on the decline, Larry Fink is doubling down. You just heard him. For more on this, uh, Steve Moore, economist and GovZilla author, joins us. Steve, thanks for being with us. Hey, good morning, Dan. Hi, Amy. Um, so the, the you know they the the you know corporate world can only go so far before they uh, draw the ire of Larry Fink and he starts to try to impose his will to change behaviors as you heard him say. Yeah, that's a, that was a strange quote. By the way, it sounded a lot like Stalin. <laughs> um, you have to force people to change their behaviors. They're going to be a five-year plan. Um, but um, it's, it's disappointing, too, because uh, in recent months, Larry Pink has kind of pulled back on some of his extreme ESG, uh, you know, climate change um, uh, dictates and, and also on this diversity and equity issue. And yet every time they take a step forward, they take, take a step backward. Um, you look at these big firms like um, uh, Fidelity and you look at um, – State Street, and you look at BlackRock, and you look at these others, they control trillions and trillions of dollars of assets. So they can command these companies to engage in all sorts of liberal policies with just by them, their financial might. And I, I find that deeply disturbing. As you know, earlier this year at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, we graded these firms on how they're voting on the, on things like these uh, these. Um, proxy votes they take on shareholder resolutions and like 80 to 90 percent of the time they're voting for the extreme left-wing hostile uh resolutions against the very companies they own stock in well so uh, so so how do you uh combat the uh, black rocks and the vanguards and the state streets of the world how how can so, how can, yeah, how can well, companies do it yeah so that's a great question. So when we issued our report back, you know, showing in the Wall Street Journal that 90 percent of these firms are voting for all these ridiculous things. By the way, that's a that is a violation of their fiduciary duty to their clients. They you know, if you have a, a an account, let's say, in Fidelity or BlackRock, they have a fiduciary duty to provide you the best possible return they can get. Right. And they're so not need, doing that because you need is it like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you need like shareholder yeah. suits? Is that the, I mean, that's what Ramaswamy has proposed, well, hasn't he? So I think 
I think what we have to do is shame these companies. And so it was really interesting after our report came out a lot. Of, now, there is some good news. I, do, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. It is true that a lot of these companies have, have – they're, they're voting for fewer of these crazy resolutions that are brought by these left. What happens is you know, they have these big shareholder meetings, and these you know, liberal activist groups come in and say, oh, you're not hiring enough blacks or minorities or this or that, or you're, you, know, you have to divest in oil and gas companies, even though oil and gas companies in the last 14 months have made more money than virtually any other industry. And so they're costing – what I'm saying is they're costing retirees – in their 401k plans, money by playing politics with their pensions. And so people are angry about this and move it. So you ask, what can people do? Find out how your investment firm, whether they're engaging in this stuff. And if they are, pull your money out and put it into a company like Dimensional that doesn't play these games. Okay, that's one way to do it. What about uh, what about shareholder suits? And particularly maybe some of the... Um... You know, the, the Carl icons of the world that really could uh, make an impact. I mean, is, is that is there any prospect to that being effective? I guess so. You know, I guess so. But these firms are supposedly representing shareholders. That's the point. You know, shareholder suits against who? Uh, th- th- what's happening here is that the shareholder mm-hmm. organizations are the ones who are forcing upon these companies. Look, the CEOs, for the most part of these companies, they just want to make money. They don't want to have all these crazy things you can't buy plastics you gotta you have have so many gays and blacks and women and on your board and stuff they're saying no we're gonna hire the best qualified people we can we're not gonna have quotas but this this is what this dei stuff is all about and i do think it's a retreat though i do think people are rebelling against it uh in a in a positive in a positive way uh speaking of um uh rebelling or revolting or Uh, migrating uh, to uh, places that are uh, uh, consistent with your values, to borrow a favorite phrase of the left. This was an an interesting chart, uh, and this was a perfect backdrop uh, against last week's debate between DeSantis and Newsom, and maybe DeSantis will uh, mention this in tonight's final debate before the Iowa caucus. Uh, This breakdown by region of the 2.1 million Americans who've moved to Florida since the beginning of COVID. Uh, uh-huh. 32% came from the Northeast. 32% came from the South. 21% and came the rest from... Ca- and the rest came from Chicago. <laughs> well, 21% from the Midwest, with Illinois leading the right. way, yes, from the Midwest. Right. And 15% right. from the West. I mean, it it just shows you that it's... Um, I mean, I, I know you often say people are moving from uh, California to Houston for the weather. Um, but it's, it's you know, when you, um, when you have... Uh, nice weather, yes, but when you have a freedom-oriented governance agenda, boy, you attract people from all over the country. That's right. And, you know, uh, so it was interesting, Gavin Newsom said, well, you know, not that many people are leaving um, California, Florida. And and that's true that the migration isn't really into Florida isn't really mostly from California. Because it California is in the West. West it's leading six. Exactly. Six, it but is in the West exactly. part of the region. They're leading the Western states in out migration right. to Florida. That's that's right. You know, so people are going to Arizona. They're going to, you know, Nevada, which has no income tax. They're going to uh, Montana and so on. So th- this is a big story. People are leaving. They're voting with their feet against these liberal policies and you're seeing it you know by the way i was in chicago a week and a half ago things seem to be a little bit better in the downtown area i don't know amy if i'm 
just imagining that, but things things seem to be a little bit settling down in Chicago. I, I didn't you're... feel like if I walked <laughs> walked down Michigan Avenue, I was going to get shot. Well, I think your your uh, judgment is clouded by the Christmas decorations, possibly. Yes, it was. You're so right. I have to say, can I say that there's no city that has better than Christmas decorations than Chicago? No, that's They're a calling amazing. card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, and it really is. We it, do this the right. It looks beautiful <laughs> at night. Um, but look, I want to make another point, if I may, because this is really important. In the last um, three days, or three or four days, the Biden administration has made two declarations, Dan and Amy, and these are really important. One is they want to stop building all coal plants in the United States, and they have a plan within the next six years to shut down every single coal plant in the United States. That's 30% of our electric power comes yeah. from coal plants, and we need coal plants as a backup for the wind and solar plants when they're not working. Second of all, did you see what they're talking about with respect to methane? Now, well, people, but, 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 but by the way, just on coal, on coal, that has some Illinois relevance, as you know, because yeah, uh, right. of southern Illinois coal. So anyway, but go ahead. Exactly. Coal. I mean, look, let's be clear about this, folks. The United States of America was built on coal. We have the most coal in the world. It is an important source of electric power production. And it, we have the cleanest coal in the world. Meanwhile, I think all of your listeners, because you have smart listeners, know that while we're shutting down our coal plants right now this year, China is building 100 new coal plants. So, boy, that's going to do a lot for the climate. Um, but the other thing that's almost more sinister is did you see that they're, they've declared war on, quote, methane? Now, Dan and Amy, do you know what methane is? Methane gas? Yeah. It's, it's natural gas. It's just a, it's a fancy term for natural gas. Well, guess what? Natural gas reduces carbon emissions. It doesn't increase carbon emissions. It's the reason the United States has reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country, because we have fracking. We're getting access to all this natural gas. My point is they want to put natural gas out of business, and they want to put coal out of production. They, if they do this, this is a series of heart attack, folks. They are going to eliminate 60% of America's energy. Yeah, and then, you know, last we spoke about EVs, uh, NBC Nightly News did a piece where car dealers are saying people can't sell these ones. People are returning their EVs because they want their exactly. old cars back. So what are they gonna, <laughs> So they're going to have to mandate that, the government is, to get rid of those vehicles. I mean, they're piling up some – there's even some um, – different rental car places that were not accepting electronic vehicles anymore either. So there's a big vote. This is another good um, topic because there's a vote that may happen today on the House floor to eliminate the um, Biden administration's um, obscene EV mandates, which are going to require in five or six or seven years that everybody buy an electric vehicle. Now, I'm, I'm not against electric vehicles, but I'm certainly against the government telling me what kind of car I have to buy. I will be quiet. I bet most of your Illinois delegation votes for the Biden mandates, Dan. I bet they all are going to fall right in line with this. You, yeah. you got to give up your power, folks, to save the planet. Well, sure. I mean, we got 15 Democrats to three Republicans, so you'll have 15 votes for it and three against it. Um, that's what it'll be. Uh, I mean, but but how can Democrats? I mean, this is a free country. The last this is still America, isn't it? You can't. They're telling you you can't buy the kind of car you want. Sort of. It's still sort of America. <laughs> that's open for debate. And speaking of which, I mean, we we didn't we didn't talk to you since uh, last week's uh, DeSantis Newsom debate. What was your takeaway? Did DeSantis do uh, a good job advancing the flag for uh, the red state governance model? I think he did. You know, I mean, he still, you know, if it were a debate on substance, absolutely DeSantis won. If it was style, I mean, I don't know. I want Amy's 
I don't know if you watched it. Oh, you have a man crush on Gavin Newsom. Yeah, exactly. Well, he is good looking. He's statuesque. I mean, if he was 300 pounds and short, nobody would even care. I do do have a man crush on him. And and, and he's, you know, he doesn't, did you notice he doesn't have a hair out of place and he smiles all the time? Dan. Yeah, like Patrick (laughs) Just let me and Steve have this conversation, okay? (laughs) But he's slimy because everything out of his mouth was a lie. But he's lied, 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 man. But he's good at it. But he's good at it. You got to. <laughs> I mean, he's, 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 he's slimy. But yeah. I mean, he is. I mean, I, I, actually think that it, I do think that DeSantis did himself a lot of good with that debate. We'll see whether that is. But look, Trump gave that town hall meeting. Look, guy, the guy is yeah, got his game face on. He's very relaxed. He's calm. He's talking common sense. And uh, I, I just still think he's going to be tough to beat. I just loved yesterday when he said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. I'm going to close the border. That's my one-day dictatorship. I'm like, bingo. He had a That's lot of what we lines. want to hear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's just the reaction to Biden's craziness. And it really is coming down to, uh, you know, um, what Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders said, you know, a year ago. Do you want craziness or do you want common sense? Steve Moore, economist and Govzilla author. Thanks, Steve. All right, guys. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, yesterday, House Speaker Mike Johnson had a press conference to uh, discuss what uh, life is like for Jewish students on campus, particularly Ivy League campuses. And uh, one student that was featured is a University of Penn undergrad named Ekal Yacobi. Listen to what he said about uh, what the situation is at Penn. And remember, you know, the Huntsman family... Uh, made the big splash by saying they were no longer donating to UPenn because of what's happening, just as we've had uh, huge donors from Harvard say the same. Listen to uh, young Ekel Yacobi. Nonetheless, I refuse to go back to 1939 when Jews had to hide the religious symbols and hide who they are due to the intimidation and harassment of us. I used to think this was nonsense, fear-mongering, until I was made aware that Penn recommended to students, quote, not wear clothing slash accessories related to Judaism. Right. So um, that would lead one to believe that there are students on campus at University of Pennsylvania that are failing to abide the code of conduct. And so think about what uh, uh, Jacoby said in the context of this back and forth before a House committee between Congresswoman Elise Stefanik and University of Penn President Liz McGill. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. 
It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if the, yes speech becomes, no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay at Harvard. Uh, we'll get to Dr. Gay. Uh, Liz McGill, so the, rather than trying to hi-hat her, at least Stefanik would have been better to say, oh, really, it's contextual. Okay, well, um, give me a scenario. Give me the context in which someone calling for the uh, genocide of Jews on campus is not violative of the code of conduct. I would have liked to hear that answer. Well, Jacoby, though, I mean, he was told by classmates and even professors, quote, you're a dirty little J word. You deserve to die while he so, was running in from one building to the next. That, the that other, That's acceptable? No, that's not. Well, the, the other point here, emphasis on code of conduct. Code of conduct on a campus is not the same as First Amendment. So what does the code of conduct say and how is that example or... Um, uh, or others, uh, uh, Jacoby uh, saying, well, I'm, I'm being told not, to, I mean, for example, I can't wear a yarmulke without uh, fear of being safe on campus. So how is that environment being perpetrated by apparently some Penn students not violative of the code of conduct? Hmm. And uh, then she turned to Claudine Gay, who is the president at Harvard. And you had the same sort of back and forth. It's her, this particular uh, snippet from their exchange is really illustrative. It was very reminiscent of the testimony Christopher Ray gave over on the Senate side before uh, senators on a range of topics, where he essentially said, we have these processes and safeguards in place to ensure that bad actors are punished to ensure that the FBI operates within its powers, legitimate powers. And, of course, we have no intention to use those processes because we're just sort of caretakers for the politics of the agency, just like these university presidents are just caretakers for the dominant politics on campus. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust What actions have been taken? I'm not asking. Actions underway. I, I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students. Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. She might as well have said there's an ongoing investigation, like Christopher Ray says, to cover having to answer any questions about what specifically is or is not happening. Oh, by the way, 
the the uh, hypocrisy too and the double speak. Uh, Stefanik pointed out that uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights uh, in Education (Fire) has ranked Harvard last, last out of 203 schools in the country in terms of its free speech, and there are myriad examples. Harvard sanctioned four scholars, um, three of whom had terminated in 2019, revoked conservative student activist Kyle Kashev, one of the Parkland High School shooting survivors, acceptance over comments he made on social media when he was a 16-year-old, disinvited feminist philosopher Devin Buckley from an English department colloquium on campus over her views on gender and trans, meaning she didn't follow the orthodoxy on campus, Uh, terminated law professor Ronald Sullivan for uh, representing Harvey Weinstein, you know, at the height of the Me Too movement, and so many other examples. It's my uh, uh, contention that Claudine Gay could be the FBI director and Christopher Wray could be the president at Harvard. The managerial elite operate the same way. There's no particular expertise, law enforcement expertise you need to be uh, the FBI director in this environment. And there's no particular expertise or academic bona fides you need to be the president of Harvard. You just need to manage the political environment consistent with the interests of your fellow travelers, no matter what they say or do. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Helen Raleigh. She's a senior contributor to The Federalist, Federalist.com, author of Backlash, How China's Aggression Has Backfired. Helen Raleigh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, So your reaction to what, uh, you know, you heard in those exchanges, what it indicates about uh, the culture on campus. I know the cultural revolution on campus, your piece is mainly focused on China, but, um, I mean, these are... uh, sort of a similar dynamics in terms of the environment and culture on campus. Yes, I agree. I agree with what you just said. I watched uh, some of the hearings yesterday. I was just utterly disappointed and shocked, even though I know our college campuses are intolerant of different ideas. But, um, you know, those those, uh, presidents, they have weeks uh, to prepare for this testimony and giving all the new evidence we know about the massacre happened, a terrorist, you know, committed a massacre and rape happened on October 7th, that they have, the presidents have weeks, you know, to prepare for the testimony, and they still come out with such a moral cowardness. It just, uh, it, it's shocking. And I, I have to say, my husband graduated from Wharton, so for years, we donated, you know, we contributed to Penn. Mm-hmm. We stopped our contribution after uh, Penn, you know, basically censored the Professor Amy Waxter. Um, but it's, it's still, it's just shocking, especially compared the president's testimony to the students' the testimony. You know, those students' testimony, just like this should not be happening in America. Well, and you uh, include in your piece... Uh, on Harvard's campus, a group of pro-Palestinian students, including the editor of the Harvard Law Review, surrounded a Jewish student and shouted, shame, shame. Um, so, uh, you know, that that would be another good example to put to Claudine Gay. Now, is that an example? Uh, is that conduct that's consistent with the code of conduct on campus uh, that's supposed to be uh, uh, anti-bullying and anti-harassment, physical intimidation of Jewish students for being Jewish? 
Well, obviously not, but we know they operate, the college campuses operate on a double standard, right? Um, they are the ones, those, those uh, liberals run the college campuses. They are the ones who told us for years that the words can be violent. So they have to censor speeches. They have to disinvite conservative speakers. You know, they have to disinvite uh, detransition, you know, transgender uh, activists because they said the words are violence. They want to keep the campus a safe place for other students. But then when actual violence t- took place, they cannot bring themselves to issue, you know, condemnation, issue statement. They suddenly became quiet, became cowards. And I think yesterday's testimony and their reactions, or this supposedly adults in charge of campus, their reactions since October 7th, which is very telling, that they are, I think those adults are worse than the students who are harassing other Jewish students. I think the adults are the root cause of why our college campuses are the most intolerant, are the, are the most illiberal places in America. And uh, the um, nexus to uh, Mao's Cultural Revolution, the role that young people played in the Cultural Revolution in terms of uh, perhaps um, a cautionary tale about what we're seeing on college campuses and the Ivy League and elsewhere in this country. I definitely, unfortunately, I definitely see uh, similarities. So uh, radical ideologies, whether it's communism, fascism, and, you know, socialism, they all tend to recruit young people, taking advantage of young people's natural disdain for authority, and radicalize young people, turn them into blunt instruments. I see that happened in during China's Cultural Revolution. You know, young girls who are who were innocent before the Cultural Revolution and during the Cultural Cultural Revolution committed senseless murders, um, you know, beaten and killed their own teachers. And you know, one of the witnesses from that event, she said something. I think is something we should all remember today in America. She said the Mao started the Cultural Revolution on campus because once you ruin the campus, you you know you you ruin a student. You are destroy. You are going to destroy traditions. You are destroying values. You are destroying cultures. You are destroying civilization. And that warning—that's what happened in China, and we're seeing this happening real time here in America. That's why I disagree. Some people say, "Oh, what's happening on college campuses? It's just kids. They're gonna grow out of it." We are seeing from those college professors, those uh, uh, presidents of running universities, they're never going to grow out of it. They're going to turn entire society into those woke campuses, intolerant places. That's why we must learn from the history. And we all have moral responsibility to prevent our young people being taken advantage of, being turned into blunt instruments for radical ideology. Well, then, do you think it's prudent that some large corporations and some you know, big wigs are saying, you know what, if you're against Israel, then we're not going to hire you at our company. Oh, absolutely. Because those corporations, they are private entities. They have every right to decide who they want to, who they want to hire. And especially if somebody from law school, you know, you just give the example I mentioned in my article about the law school review editor. I mean, he's going to be a lawyer and he's out there leading harassment against another student for no reason other than the student's religious beliefs or ethnicity. Either can we trust that he's going to be a fair, good lawyer? No, he cannot be. So, yes, I, I think that's absolutely you know, ne- necessary. 
Well, and, and it's interesting, too. You say, you know, they t- take advantage of the Cultural Revolution, uh, take advantage of young people's uh, uh, distrust of authority to instigate mm-hmm. revolt. But in this case, the authorities are conspiring. There, there's nothing to revolt against. They're conspiring to behave like thugs against an insular minority. Well, there, there are elements of that, but I also think they are cowards. Uh, because you're going yes. back to my cultural revolution example, because when that one teacher was beaten by students, none of the adults stepped forward because they were all worried. They were all worried. They were driven by fear that if they step forward to say something, they're going to become the next target. So I think many of those uh, present adults running the, ca- running the campus, they unleashed the woke mob, and now they lost control, and they, be- they became fearful. Because they don't, they did not want to go say the wrong things, and then have those student mob, you know, show up at their uh, offices, you know, prevent them to do, to, you know, to run their daily lives. So they are also uh, also morally cowards. Uh, that's why I fully support that Bill Ackman, the venture capitalist. I fully support his call that we need to fire, have the board fire the president. Hold them accountable. First, we need to hold adults accountable. Then we need to hold those um, a, a field educators, students accountable. We must reintroduce accountability back into college campuses. If we just let this continue to faster, again, they never grow out of it. They're going to turn the rest of society into a giant college campus. Well, right. And, and I mean, the... the, the um... Uh, troubling thing, of course, is we had a lot of advance warning that this was the culture on campuses. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't have to go back very far. Uh, this was I mean, just a couple of examples of y- years ago now. Uh, University of Cal Berkeley students uh, essentially setting the campus on fire in protesting Ben Shapiro speaking there. Uh, Middlebury College, Charles Murray walking with a, a administrator on campus, the social scientist Charles Murray, and uh, students accosting both of them and physically injuring the Middlebury administrator. Mm-hmm. And so that was over just, you know, being a conservative. Uh, and and so now you see this happening with Jews being targeted on college campuses and people are you know, shocked at what's been going on. It's been going on for a long time. And now we are, are trying to assess... Uh, some people are trying to assess, you know, how deep the roots are, because it's going to take uh, a significant effort, not just punishing a few students one off or not hiring the guy from Harvard Law Review. It's going to take a real big lift to undo all that has been allowed to uh, take hold on, on the campus. Oh, I agree. Like people like you and I work in the media. We've been like shouting into the air for the intolerance, you know, the speech censorship, um, college campuses, what's going on for years now. But uh, we, were, we were told that, oh, they're going to grow out of it. Obviously, now, this, you know, this tragic event that took place in Israel is a revealing, just like COVID, the pandemic was a revealing event. Now, this uh, massacre happened in Israel is also revealing. It helped many people on the left finally open their eyes to see how bad you know, how bad this woke ideology is. I mean, all the presidents, they sound like they were just coached by the same DEI consultant. That's why they give those very canned answers over and over again. They, they lack moral clarity because they never learned that from the DEI consultant. And this whole idea that, oh, a crime is not a crime. It really all depends on who's the you know, perpetrator, who's the victim. Their skin color matters. You know, depends on who's the victim, the skin color of the victim. Then we can decide 
that's the context they're speaking for. It's all very disgusting. Like, I'm so disgusted by what's going on in America today. And, you know, I did not come to America to live, to relive in an illiberal environment I left behind, you know, in China. That's why I am so outspoken. I'm writing articles. Um, I, I, I almost get tired of keep saying, this looks like cultural revolution. This looks like what's happening in China. Wake up. You know, we need to stop this. So I hope out of this tragedy, what happened with, with Israel and all the reactions that we see today, I hope more people on the, li- on the left will wake up. You know, this is a, the speech, um, the protection, you know, um, the equal rights in front, of, in front of law. These are not a left and right issue. This is, a, this is a good versus evil, you know, liberal ideology versus illiberal ideology. You know, it should be very clear. You should, we should all have this moral clarity. So, so I hope this event will wake up more people, more Americans, to put a stop on this terrible trend. Helen Raleigh, senior contributor to The Federalist, Federalist.com, author of Backlash, How China's Aggression Has Backfired. Helen Raleigh, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, and she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy want to revisit some of Christopher Ray's testimony before Senate Committee yesterday, but first... House Speaker Mike Johnson on uh, the J6 tapes that have been yet uh, yet to be released. Uh, something he said yesterday I want to get our next guest, uh, Julie Kelly's reaction to. Take a listen. Trust the American people to draw their own conclusions. We should not, they should not be dictated by some narrative and accept that as fact. So they can review the tapes themselves. Uh, we're going through a methodical process of releasing them as quickly as we can. As you know, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who uh, participated in, in, uh, in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and, uh, and, and, and to be charged by the DOJ and, and to have other, uh, you know, concerns and problems. So uh, that's a slow process to get it done. We're working steadily on it. We've hired additional personnel to do that. And uh, all of those tapes ultimately at the end will, will be out so everybody can see them and draw their own conclusion. Let me go. Um, what's he referring to there with the blurring out of certain faces? Julie Kelly is a reporter who's been uh, done more reporting on J6 than anybody in the country. She's the best in the business. Uh, You can check out her work at uh, her substack, Declassified with Julie Kelly. She's also the author of Jan 6, January 6, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Julie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Good morning. Thank you for the kind opening. So what's Yeah. So what's what's uh, Speaker Johnson referring to there? So that was really an unwise comment for the speaker to say. Um, I think it sounds more like a delay tactic than something legitimate. The Department of Justice has had these thousands of hours of surveillance video now since January 7th of 2021. They have charged more than 1,200 Americans. They're still arresting people every single week, including from the state of Illinois. So I'm not sure why he thought that was a smart thing to say. That was sort of originally the delay tactic, well, we have to blur out faces of people who have not been charged or who the DOJ is going to go after. They're going after these people regardless. Also, we've seen a lot of tapes. 
There's a lot of body-worn camera footage from police that's been made available. So no one is going to hide from this Department of Justice. Mike Johnson needs to stop talking about releasing these tapes and release them. It's been now two and a half weeks since he released the first small batch. They promised they were going to do this on a rolling basis. They haven't. Release the tapes, stop talking about it, and stop these unforced errors then that give the media and Democrats more oxygen to say you're trying to protect people. You're trying to protect, quote, unquote, criminals. Just release the tapes. We will figure we'll figure it out. We don't need Mike Johnson as the referee. Well, when he says we have to blur some of the faces, that makes me think that he's blurring the faces of informants, FBI informants. What about you? Exactly right, Amy. And that was the reaction on our side is that Republicans are working in cahoots with the FBI to blur the faces of FBI undercover agents or um, informants. Now, we know that informants were there. We know that undercover agents from both Capitol Police, uh, D.C. Police, Department of Homeland Security, a lot of agents had undercover officers on the scene that day. So I guess to that extent, if you wanted to say we want to conceal the faces of undercover officers, people might understand that. We certainly don't want the faces of FBI informants who were involved in violence, which we know that they were. We don't need that concealed from the public anymore. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this uh, story that broke um, before Thanksgiving, and it uh, came from a, a former um, U.S. Marshal. And what she said on uh, during a Fox News interview was essentially that um, the only thing U.S. Marshals are doing today are acting as administrative staff at the border, like passing out water and stuff to people coming across illegally, or they're part of this uh, program that's ongoing where they're following around people who were in the vicinity of the Capitol on January 6th, even though they've not been charged with any crimes. Do you know anything about that that last program? I absolutely do. And in fact, that U.S. Marshal is in our movie, Police State, uh, that was produced by Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Bongino. And she explains at length how U.S. Marshals have been redirected from securing flights, you know, that used to be worried about foreign terrorists and now tracking people who have been charged or are just being surveilled by the government related to their involvement in January 6th. So she's absolutely right. And I just know this for a fact, talking to so many J6 defendants, a lot of them, including those accused of misdemeanors like trespassing, are on a terror flight list. Their tickets have something called a quad six label on it. They have to go through extensive levels of security, including at the gate, including when they deplane. They are followed around like ISIS terrorists simply because they, as I said, either charged on petty offenses, misdemeanors, or are simply under surveillance. And this includes, in one instance, the infant child of someone who was charged with January 6th. So this is where federal government resources are going, people. Um, and do we have more examples uh, of the federal government prosecutors withholding exculpatory evidence, not being uh, fully compliant in the discovery process in these criminal proceedings? Because we essentially had that with the uh, infamous QAnon shaman, where there was video that ultimately uh, was unearthed that was not provided to the defense, to his representation by the federal government. 
And once that was unearthed, all of a sudden he's uh, moved from uh, a multi-year sentence to uh, a halfway house. So there are still complaints from defense attorneys that the government, this DOJ, has withheld exculpatory evidence. This includes the surveillance video. In March of 2021, the general counsel for the Capitol Police, which technically owns this 40,000 hours of surveillance video throughout the Capitol complex on the 5th, 6th, and 7th of January 2021, went under a blanket protective order. The Capitol Police said that footage um, was sensitive government material, and every clip, basically, is under protective orders authorized by D.C. judges. So, really, the defense could only get the clips from the government that they were willing to provide in discovery. And when defense attorneys said, yeah, but we want to see his actions throughout the building that day, we want to see other people in that vicinity, the government would come back and say, no, you don't, that poses a national security threat to show you more than you need to see. And the judges, of course, mostly uniformly would sign off on that. That's still happening today, particularly in the two criminal indictments against Donald Trump, where the DOJ, Special Counsel Jack Smith, is withholding evidence, not the least of which, again, is video. It looks like the January 6th committee destroyed or has concealed 1,000-plus video-recorded interviews with all of their witnesses who gave depositions to that committee. And as you will recall, the cherry-clipped videos that we saw in their national uh, televised hearings, those full recordings now have been hidden somewhere or possibly destroyed. So Donald Trump's lawyers, when they've asked for those videos in relation to his January 6th trial in March, has been told by the Department of Justice those videos are no longer available, and you will just have to use the written transcript. I wanted to get your reaction to uh, one of the exchanges that Christopher Ray had with uh, senators yesterday, and this was uh, John Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana asking uh, Ray, uh, since you had the uh, Hunter Biden laptop uh, in, uh, as early as 2019, well, why didn't you say anything when people were suggesting there was no laptop? or that it had, you know, famously all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Take a listen. Why didn't the FBI just say, hey, the, 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 the laptop's real? Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction. Well, I, I, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But others were story. in government. Well, I can't, again, I can't speak to others in government. Now, that's part of the point that I was trying to make because the Fifth yes, Circuit's But opinion, you're the FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks. We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season. 
because that's precisely some of the problems that led to my predecessors' uh, uh, negative findings from the inspector general. Did you hear a gavel? Well, for, well, first of all, we're always in the middle of an election season. And secondly, it's an incredible statement to say the middle of an election season, which is um, uh, ongoing in perpetuity, is no time to tell the truth. I wish Senator Kennedy had not interrupted really himself because Christopher Ray is brazenly lying right there. Everyone knows it. His, uh, the FBI field office in San Francisco, Elvis Chan, was in almost daily conversations, not only with Twitter, but other big tech companies, Facebook, we've heard Mark Zuckerberg testify to this, Google, et cetera, warning them that any reporting on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop, which, by the way, the FBI got in December of 2019. So they had already had it for almost a year before the New York Post started reporting on it in October of 2020 and warned them that this was a Russian or foreign disinformation campaign, that if they did not suppress reporting on it, that the FBI would take steps to do so. And so that is how they did you know, suppress, I think they shut down the New York Post Twitter account for more than a week after that was reported. And that was directly a result of the FBI's involvement in running interference for Hunter Biden's laptop, suppressing the contents that the New York Post and others were reporting on. That directly came from Christopher Ray's FBI. He lied once again under oath. He won't suffer any consequences. But you know, Americans who are informed know that he's not telling the truth once again. Julie Kelly, check out her work at her Substack, Declassified with Julie Kelly. She's also the author of the book, January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Julie, thank you as always. Thanks, Dan and Amy. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Great work. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.